Chapter Sixteen, Part One of the Sea Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril and Heroism, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sea Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril and Heroism, Volume One by Frederick Wimper chapter sixteen the history of ships and shipping interests continued part one noble adventures the earl of cumberland as a pirate rich prizes action with the madre di dio capture of the great carrick a cargo worth one hundred and fifty thousand pounds burning of the cinco chaga but fifteen saved out of eleven hundred souls the scourge of malice establishment of the slave trade sir john hawkins ventures high-handed proceedings the spaniards forced to purchase a fleet of slavers hawkins sanctioned by good queen bess joins in a negro war a disastrous voyage sir francis drake his first loss the treasure at nombre de dio drake's first sight of the pacific tons of silver captured john oxenham's voyage the first englishman on the pacific his disasters and death drake's voyage round the world bloodletting at the equator arrival at port julian trouble with the natives execution of a mutineer passage of the straits of magellan vessels separated in a gale loss of the marigold tragic fate of eight men drake driven to cape horn proceedings at valparaiso prizes taken capture of the great treasure ship drake's resolve to change his course home vessel refitted at nicaragua stay in the bay of san francisco the natives worship the english grand reception at ternate drake's ship nearly wrecked return to england honors accorded drake his character and influence sir humphrey gilbert's disasters and death raleigh's virginia settlements the spirit of adventure fostered by the grand discoveries which were constantly being made the rich returns derived from trading expeditions and from the pillage of our enemies was at its zenith in the reign of queen elizabeth nor was it confined to mere soldiers of fortune for we find distinguished noblemen of ample fortunes taking to the seas as though their daily bread depended thereupon among these naval adventures there was no one says southey who took to the seas so much in the spirit of a northern sea king as the earl of cumberland he had borne his part in the defeat of the armada while still a young man 
and the queen was so well satisfied with him that she gave him a commission to go the same year to the spanish coast as general lending him the golden lion one of the ships royal he victualling and furnishing at his own expense after some fighting he took a prize but soon after had to cut away his mainmast in a storm and return to england his spirit remaining nevertheless higher than the winds and more resolutely by storms compact and united in itself we find him shortly afterwards again on the high seas with the victory one of the queen's ships and three smaller vessels the earl was not very scrupulous as regards prize-taking and captured two french ships which belonged to the party of the league a little later he fell in with eleven ships from hamburg and the baltic and fired on them till the captains came on board and showed their passports these were respected but not so the property of a lisbon jew which they confessed to have on their ships and which was valued at four thousand five hundred pounds off the azores he hoisted spanish colors and succeeded in robbing some spanish vessels the homeward-bound portuguese fleet from the east indies narrowly escaped him when near tercera some english prisoners stole out in a small boat having no other yard for their mainsail than two pipe-staves and informed him that the portuguese ships had left the island a week before this induced him to return to fayal and the terror inspired by the english name in those days is indicated by the fact that the town of about five hundred houses was found to be completely empty the inhabitants had abandoned it he set a guard over the churches and monasteries and then calmly waited till a ransom of two thousand ducats was brought him he helped himself to fifty-eight pieces of iron ordnance and the governor of graciosa to keep on good terms with the earl sent him sixty butts of wine while there a weymouth privateer came in with a spanish prize worth sixteen thousand pounds next we find the earl at st mary's where he captured a brazilian sugar-ship in bringing out their prize they were detained on the harbour bar exposed to the enemy eighty of cumberland's men were killed and he himself was wounded his head also was broken with stones so that the blood covered his face and both his face and legs were burnt with fireballs the prize however was secured and forwarded to england cumberland himself held on his course to spain and soon fell in with a ship of four hundred tons from mexico laden with hides cochineal sugar and silver and the captain had with him a venture to the amount of twenty five thousand ducats which was taken they now resolved to return home but sea fortunes are variable having two inconsistent parents air and water and as one of the adventurers concisely put it these summer services and ships of sugar proved not so sweet and pleasant as the winter was afterwards sharp and painful lister the earl's captain was sent in the mexican prize for england and was wrecked off cornwall everything being lost in her and all the crew 
save five or six men. On the Earl's ship, contrary winds and gales delayed them so greatly that their water failed. They were reduced to three spoonfuls of vinegar apiece at each meal. This state of affairs, lasting fourteen days, except what water they could collect from rain and hailstorms, yet was that rain so intermingled with the spray of the foaming sea in that extreme storm that it could not be healthful yea some in their extremity of thirst drank themselves to death with their cans of salt water in their hands some ten or twelve perished on each of as many consecutive nights and the storm was at one time so violent that the ship was almost torn to pieces his lordship's cabin the dining-room and the half-deck became all one and he was obliged to seek a lodging in the hold the earl however constantly encouraged the men and the small stock of provisions was distributed with the greatest equality so at last they reached a haven on the west coast of ireland where their sufferings ended on this voyage they had taken thirteen prizes the mexican prize which had been wrecked, would have added one hundred thousand pounds to the profits of the venture, but even with this great deduction the earl had been doubly repaid for his outlay. The earl's third expedition was a failure, but the fourth resulted in the capture of the Madre de Dios, one of the largest carracks belonging to the Portuguese crown. In this, however, some of Raleigh's and Hawkins' ships had a share captain thompson who came up with her first again and again delivered his peals as fast as he could fire and fall astern to load again thus hindering her way though somewhat to his own cost till the others could come up several others worried the carrick until the earl's ship came up about eleven at night captain norton had no intention of boarding the enemy till daylight if there had not been a cry from one of the ships royal then in danger and you be men save the queen's ship upon this carrack was boarded on both sides a desperate struggle ensued and it took an hour and a half before the attacking party succeeded in getting possession of the high forecastle so brave a booty making the men fight like dragons the ship won the boarders turned to pillage and while searching about with candles managed to set fire to a cabin containing some hundreds of cartridges, very nearly blowing up the ship. The hotness of the action was evidenced by the number of dead and dying who strewed the carrack's decks, especially, says the chronicler, about the helm, for the greatness of the steerage requiring the labor of twelve or fourteen men at once, and some of our ships beating her at the stern with their ordnance, oftentimes with one shot, slew four or five laboring on either side of the helm whose room being still furnished with fresh supplies and our artillery still playing upon them with continual volleys it could not be but that much blood should be shed in that place for the times the prisoners were treated with great humanity and surgeons were sent on board to dress their wounds the captain don fernando de mendoza was a gentleman of noble birth well stricken in years well spoken of comely personage of good stature but of hard fortune 
twice he had been taken prisoner by the moors and ransomed by the king and he had been wrecked on the coast of sofala in a carrack which he commanded and having escaped the sea danger fell into the hands of infidels ashore who kept him under long and grievous servitude the prisoners were allowed to carry off their own valuables put on board one of cumberland's ships and sent to their own country unfortunately for them they again fell in with other english cruisers who robbed them without mercy taking from them nine hundred diamonds and other valuable things about eight hundred negroes on board were landed on the island of corvo her cargo consisted of jewels spices drugs silks calicoes carpets canopies ivory porcelain and innumerable curiosities it was estimated to amount to a hundred and fifty thousand pounds in value and there was considerable haggling over its division and no little embezzlement the queen had a large share of it and cumberland netted thirty-six thousand pounds the carrick created great astonishment at dartmouth by her dimensions which for those days were enormous she was of about one thousand six hundred tons burden and one hundred and sixty-five feet long she was of seven several stories one main orlop three close decks one forecastle of great height and a spar deck of two floors apiece her mainmast was a hundred and twenty-five feet in height and her main yard one hundred and five feet long being so huge and unwieldy a ship says purchase she was never removed from dartmouth but there laid up her bones in fifteen ninety four the earl set forth on his eighth voyage with three ships a caravel and a pinnace furnished at his own expense with the help of some adventurers early in the voyage they descried a great indian ship whose burden they estimated at two thousand tons her name was the cinco chaga the five wounds and her fate was as tragical as her name she had on board a number of persons who had been shipwrecked in three vessels which like herself had been returning from the indies when she left mozambique for europe she had on board fourteen hundred persons an enormous number for those days on the voyage she had encountered terrible gales and after putting in at luanda for water and supplies and shipping many slaves a fatal pestilence known by the name of the mal de luanda carried off about half the crew the captain wished to avoid the azores but a mutiny had arisen among the soldiers on board and he was forced to stand by them and by this means came in contact with the earl of cumberland's squadron off fayal the portuguese had pledged themselves to the ship at all hazards and to perish with her in the sea or in the flames rather than yield so rich a prize to the heretics cumberland's ships after harassing the carrack on all sides ranged up against her twice she was boarded and twice were the assailants driven out a third time the privateers boarded her one of them bearing a white flag he was the first of the party killed and when a second hoisted another flag at the poop it was immediately thrown overboard the english suffered considerably 
more especially among the officers. Cumberland's vice-admiral, Antony, was killed. Downtown, the rear-admiral crippled for life, and Cave, who commanded the Earl's ship, mortally wounded. The privateers seem, in the heat of action, almost to have forgotten the valuable cargo on board, and to have aimed only at destroying her after many bickerings, says the chronicler. Fireworks flew about interchangeably. At last the vice-admiral, with a culverin shot at hand, fired the carrack in her stern, and the rear-admiral her forecastle. Then, flying and maintaining their fires so well with their small shot that many which came to quench them were slain, the fire made rapid headway, and P. Fray Antonio, a Franciscan, was seen with a crucifix in his hand, encouraging the poor sailors to commit themselves to the waves and to God's mercy, rather than perish in the flames. A large number threw themselves overboard, clinging to such things as were cast into the sea. It is said that the English boats, with one honorable exception, made no efforts to save any of them. It is even stated that they butchered many in the water. According to the English account, there were more than 1,100 on board the Carrick when she left Awanda, and whom only 15 were saved. Two ladies of high rank, mother and daughter, the latter of whom was going home to Spain to take possession of some entailed property, when they saw there was no help to be expected from the privateers, fastened themselves together with a cord and committed themselves to the waves. Their bodies were afterwards cast ashore on Fayal, still united, though in the bonds of death. The Earl afterwards built the Scourge of Malice, a ship of eight hundred tons, and the largest yet constructed by an English subject, and in 1597 obtained letters patent authorizing him to levy sea and land forces. Without royal assistance he gathered eighteen sail. This expedition, although it worried and impoverished the Spaniards, was not particularly profitable to the Earl. He took Puerto Rico, and then abandoned it, and did not, as he expected, intercept either outward-bound East India men who indeed were too frightened to venture out to the Tagus that year, or the homeward-bound Mexican fleet. This was Cumberland's last expedition, and no other subject ever undertook so many at his own cost. The Elizabethan age was otherwise so glorious that it is painful to have to record the establishment of the slave trade, a serious blot on the reign one which no Englishman of to-day would defend, but which was then looked upon as perfectly legitimate. John Hawkins, afterwards Sir John, was born at Plymouth, and his father had long been a well-esteemed sea-captain, the first Englishman, it is believed, who ever traded to the Brazils. The young man had gained so much renown by trips to Spain, Portugal, and the Canaries, and having grown in love and favor with the canarians by good and upright dealing began to think of more extended enterprises learning that negroes were very good merchandise in hispaniola and that store of them might easily be had upon the coast of guinea he communicated with several london ship owners who liked his schemes and provided him in large part with a necessary outfit. 
three small vessels were provided the solomon of a hundred and twenty tons the swallow of one hundred and the jonas of forty hawkins left england in october fifteen sixty two and proceeding to sierra leone got into his possession partly by the sword and partly by other means to the number of three hundred negroes at the least besides other merchandise which that country yieldeth at the port of isabella porto de plata and monte cristo he made sale of the slaves to the spaniards trusting them no farther than by his own strength he was able to master them he received in exchange pearls ginger sugar and hides enough not merely to freight his own vessels but two other hulks and thus with prosperous success and much gain to himself and the aforesaid adventurers he came home and arrived in september fifteen sixty three the second expedition was on a larger scale and included a queen's ship of seven hundred tons hawkins arriving off the rio grande could not enter it for want of a pilot but he proceeded to sambula one of the islands near its mouth where he went every day on shore to take the inhabitants with burning and spoiling their towns and got a number of slaves flushed with easy success hawkins was persuaded by some portuguese to attack a negro town called baimiba where he was informed there was much gold forty of his men were landed and they dispersing to secure what booty they could for themselves became an easy prey to the negroes who killed seven including one of the captains and wounded twenty-seven after a visit to sierra leone which he left quickly on account of the illness and death of some of his men he proceeded to the west indies where he carried matters with a high hand at the small spanish settlements at which very generally the poor inhabitants had been forbidden to trade with him by the viceroy then stationed at st domingo to this he replied at borborata that he was in need of refreshment and money also without which he could not depart their princes were in amity one with another the english had free traffic in spain and flanders and he knew no reason why they should not have the like in the king of spain's dominions upon this the spaniards said they would send to their governor who was threescore leagues off ten days must elapse before his determination could arrive meantime he might bring his ships into the harbor and they would supply him with any victuals he might require the ships sailed in and were supplied but hawkins advising himself that to remain there ten days idle spending victuals and men's wages and perhaps in the end receive no good answer from the governor it were mere folly requested license to sell certain lean and sick negroes for whom he had little or no food but would recover with proper treatment ashore this request he said he was forced to make as he had not otherwise wherewith to pay for necessary supply to him he received a license to sell thirty slaves but now few showed a disposition to buy and where they did came to haggle and cheapen hawkins made a feint to go when the spaniards bought some of his poorer negroes 
but when the purchases paid the duty and required the customary receipt the officer refused to give it and instead of carrying the money to the king's account distributed it to the poor for the love of god the purchasers feared that they might have to pay the duty a second time and the trade was suspended till the governor arrived on the fourteenth day to him hawkins told a long-winded story concluding by saying that it would be taken well at the governor's hand if he granted a license in this case seeing that there was a great amity between their princes and that the thing pertained to our queen's highness the petition was taken under consideration in council and at last granted the license of thirty ducats demanded for each slave sold did not however meet hawkins views and he therefore landed one hundred men well armed and marched toward the town the poor townspeople sent out messengers to know his demands and he requested that the duty should be seven and a half per cent and mildly threatened that if they would not accede to this he would displease them everything was conceded and hawkins obtained the prices he wanted fancy a modern merchant standing with an armed guard pistol in hand over his customers insisting that he would sell what he liked and at his own price but all this is nothing to what happened at rio de la hacha there he spoke of his quiet traffic at borburata and requested permission to trade there in the same manner he was told that the viceroy had forbidden it whereupon he threatened them that he must either have the license or they stand to their own defence the license was granted but they offered half the prices which he had obtained at barbaruta whereupon he told them insultingly that seeing they had sent him this to his supper he would in the morning bring them as good a breakfast accordingly early next day he fired off a culverin and prepared to land with one hundred men having light ordnance in his great boat and in the other boats double bases in their noses the townsmen marched out in battle array but when the guns were fired fell flat on their faces and soon dispersed still about thirty horsemen made a show of resistance their white leather targets in one hand and their javelins in the other but as soon as hawkins marched towards them they sent a flag of truce and the treasurer in a cautious interview with this ugly merchant granted all he asked and the trade proceeded they parted with a show of friendship, and saluted each other with their guns. The townspeople, glad to be sped of such traitors. On the return voyage, contrary winds prevailed, till victuals scanted, so that they were in despair of ever reaching home, had not God provided for them better than their deserving. They arrived at Patstow in Cornwall, with the loss says the narrative printed in Hackleit's collection, of twenty persons in all the voyage, and with great profit to the venturers, as also to the whole realm in bringing home both gold, silver, pearls, and other jewels in great store. His name, therefore, be praised for evermore. Amen. They did not consider that they had been engaged in a most iniquitous traffic, nor was it indeed the opinion of the times hawkins says southey then is not individually to be condemned 
if he looked upon dealing in negroes to be as lawful as any other trade and thought the force or sacrifice might be employed for taking them with as little compunction as in hunting fishing or fowling he had a coat of arms and crest bestowed upon him and his posterity among other devices it bore a demi moor in his proper colour bound and captive with amulets on his arms etc on his next expedition for slaving purposes he had six vessels herrera says that two portuguese had offered to conduct this fleet to a place where they might load their vessels with gold and other riches and that the queen had been so taken with the idea that she had supplied hawkins with two ships he and his brother fitting out four others and a pinnace the force on board amounted to fifteen hundred soldiers and sailors who were to receive a third of the profits when the expedition was ready the portuguese deserted from plymouth and went to france but as the cost of the outfit had been incurred it was thought proper to proceed hawkins obtained after a great deal of trouble less than one hundred and fifty slaves between the rio grande and sierra leone at this juncture a negro king just going to war with a neighboring tribe sent to the commander asking his aid promising him all the prisoners who should be taken this was tempting bait and one hundred and twenty men were sent to assist the colored warrior they assaulted a town containing eight thousand inhabitants strongly paled and well defended and the english losing six men and having a fourth of their number wounded sent for more help whereupon says hawkins considering that the good success of this enterprise might highly further the commodity of our voyage i went myself and with the help of the king of our side assaulted the town both by land and sea and very hardly with fire their houses being covered with dry palm leaves obtained the town and put the inhabitants to flight where we took two hundred and fifty persons men women and children and by our friend the king of our side there were taken six hundred prisoners whereof we hope to have had our choice but the negro in which nation is seldom or never found truth meant nothing less for that night he removed his camp and prisoners so that we were fain to content us with those few that we had gotten ourselves they had obtained between four hundred and five hundred a part of which were speedily sold as he reached the west indies at rio de la hacha from whence came all the pearls the treasurer would by no means allow them to trade or even to water the ships and had fortified the town with additional bulwarks well manned by harquebusiers hawkins again enforced trade by landing two hundred men who stormed their fortifications at which the spaniards fled thus having the town says hawkins with some circumstance as partly by the spaniards desire of negroes and partly by friendship of the treasurer we obtained a secret trade whereupon the spaniards resorted to us by night and bought of us to the number of two hundred negroes this voyage ended most disastrously passing by the west end of cuba they encountered a terrific storm which lasted four days and they had to cut down all the higher buildings of the jesus their largest ship her rudder too was nearly disabled and she leaked badly 
they made for the coast of florida but could find no suitable haven thus being in great despair and taken with a new storm which continued other three days hawkins made for st juan de ulua a port of the city of mexico they took on their way three ships having on board one hundred passengers and soon reached the harbor the spaniards mistook them for a fleet from spain which was expected about that time and the chief officers came aboard to receive their dispatches being deceived of their expectation they were somewhat alarmed but finding that hawkins wanted nothing but provisions were recomforted i found in the same port says hawkins twelve ships which had in them by report two hundred thousand pounds in gold and silver all of which being in my possession with the king's island as also the passengers before in my way thitherward stayed i set at liberty without the taking from them the weight of a groat this savours rather of impudent presumption for he was certainly not in good condition to fight at that period next day the spanish fleet arrived outside when hawkins again rode the high horse by giving notice to the general that he would not suffer them to enter the port until conditions had been made for their safe being and for the maintenance of peace the fleet had on board a new viceroy who answered amicably and desired him to propose his conditions hawkins required not merely victuals and trade and hostages to be given on both sides but that the island should be in his possession during his stay with such ordinance as was planted there and that no spaniard might land on the island with any kind of weapon these terms the viceroy somewhat disliked at first nor is it very surprising that he did but at length he pretends to consent and the spanish ships entered the port in a few days it became evident that treachery was intended as men and weapons in quantities were being transferred from and to the spanish ships and new ordnance landed on the island hawkins sent to inquire what was meant and was answered with fair words still unsatisfied he sent the master of the jesus who spoke spanish to the viceroy and required to be satisfied if any such thing were or not the viceroy now seeing that the treason must be discovered retained the master blew his trumpet and it became evident that a general attack was intended a number of the english crews ashore were immediately massacred they attempted to board the minion and jesus but were kept out with great loss on both sides now says hawkins when the jesus and the minion were gotten about two ships lengths from the spanish fleet the fight began so hot on all sides that within one hour the admiral of the spaniards was supposed to be sunk their vice-admiral burnt and one other of their principal ships supposed to be sunk the spaniards used their shore artillery to such effect that it cut all the masts and yards of the jesus and sunk hawkins smaller ships the judith only excepted it had been determined as there was little hope to get the jesus away that she should be placed as a target or defence for the minion till night when they would remove such of her stores and valuables as was possible and then abandon her as we were thus determining 
says Hawkins, and he placed the minion from the shot of the land, suddenly the Spaniards fired two great ships which were coming directly with us, and having no means to avoid the fire, it bred among the men a marvelous fear, so that some said, Let us depart with the minion. Others said, Let us see whether the wind will carry the fire from us. But to be short, the minion's men, which had always their sails in readiness, fought to make sure work, and so, without their consent of the captain or master, cut their sail. Hawkins was very hardly received on board, and many of the men of the Jesus were left to their fate and the mercy of the Spaniards, which, he says, I doubt was very little. Only the minion and the Judith escaped, and the latter deserted that same night beaten about in unknown seas for the next fourteen days hunger at last enforced them to seek the land for hides were thought very good meat rats cats mice and dogs none escaped that might be gotten parrots and monkeys that were had in great price were thought then very profitable if they served the turn of one dinner so starved and worn out were they that about a hundred of his people desired to be left on the coast of tabasco and hawkins determined to water there and then with his little remain of victuals to attempt the voyage home during this time while on shore with fifty of his men a gale arose which prevented them regaining the ship indeed they expected to see it wrecked before their eyes at last the storm abated and they sailed for england the men dying off daily from sheer exhaustion the pitiful remainder being scarcely able to work the ship they at last reached the coast of galatia where they obtained fresh meat and putting into vigo were assisted by some english ships lying there hawkins concludes his narrative as follows if all the miseries and troublesome affairs of this sorrowful voyage should be perfectly and thoroughly written there should need a painful man with his pen and as great a time as he had that wrote the lives and deaths of the martyrs end of chapter sixteen part one